We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. And so, 1-1 it finished at Old Trafford. A draw, which means we are in the driving seat for third place. Pretty much sewn up. We get a point from our next two games at home against Sunderland and West Brom. You'd think that, that, should, be, that should be done and dusted, without counting any chickens. So I'm pleased with the result. All we need is a draw, and I'll take that. Obviously, we wanted to win, but it wasn't as important but you know it's a strange one because the performance was a bit a, a bit funky to be honest best way to describe it our performance was funky uh, our first half was was um pretty bad from an offensive point of view I thought we defended pretty well for the most part Lauren Koscioni at his best um natural memory also very good so defensively we were okay apart from the goal which was a bit of a shame but yeah we just couldn't couldn't get our game together it looked like we tried to play on the break made sense uh, when we won the ball back to try and try and um, exchange passes quickly and come open but our passing let us down and our, our decisions in the final third um, Alexis Sanchez has to be for me the best most talented most frustrating player I've ever seen if that makes any sense a player of his quality and his skill and his finishing and his ability to beat players so high yet so frustrating at the same time he wasn't at his best, and and obviously neither was Santi, who I loved a bit. I love Santi, and he's been magnificent this season in this new position of his. But but yeah, get to Man United, he he wasn't at the races at all. Like in the first half, we didn't see him for the first ten minutes, and then he lost the ball a lot of times, and I thought, well, it wasn't his game. Um, 
But Aaron Ramsey went in, went inside when he, after Mega made the changes, and um, took Santi off, which was a good call. Put Theo and Giroud in the same team, which should have done at Swansea, in my opinion, and um, it made a difference. Jack made a difference as well, and I thought we had chances to win the game in the second half. Uh, we had a lot of good good positions in the second half where we where we burst past their lines, but we we couldn't find the final ball or the final shot. But it doesn't matter. Forget it. It's over with. Well. I say forget it. We've got important games coming up. No, we've got an important game coming up. End of the season. Uh, the cup final. So, so I want us to get our form back before then because we've dipped a little bit. Have done for the last few matches, to be honest. Um, apart from the whole City match, we were, which we were magnificent. But that aside, you know, our, our levels haven't haven't quite been the same as they were like against Liverpool. Uh, so we need to get that back. Hopefully, be nice to play against against Villa in good form so hopefully now that we've got our, our position sorted out on the table almost um, if we can put on a good show against Sunderland and West Brom should put us in good stead for the final uh, but yeah that's a long way to go I'm sure Wenger will make some changes midweek um, it's typical typical I'm working nights now ever, ever since I've started my night shift most of our games have been midweek evening games Two games on Monday night. Now Wednesday, I'm missing all these second halves. So routine. Hate missing Arsenal matches. Um, anyway, rambling over, I'm going to hand you over to James Paul and Elliot to discuss the game. And uh, we'll see you after the Sunderland match. Huge inquest as Arsenal goes missing for 70 minutes. But coach shows up at Old Trafford with 20 minutes to spare. And Arsenal come back to London with a 1-1 draw. It is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We're coming to you, for the most part, directly after, or a few hours directly after, Arsenal's 1-1 draw uh, in Manchester against Manchester United. A lot to talk about from the game, although for the first 70 minutes, Arsenal really wasn't much of a participant, but I've got two wonderful guests who are, I would say, regular guests, although recently semi-regular, but they're back to being regular today, thankfully for them. Um... Uh, on the podcast. The first is GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. On the podcast, we call him James. Hello, James. Hello. Hello. Good evening. And uh, our other participant in today's uh, discussion, where I will whine and moan and come up with questions about what's not good enough about Arsenal, is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Um, but on this podcast, you can just find him as Paul. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! There's his trademark. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, you'll be hearing that from Paul. Uh, although sometimes it's a sadder woohoo than that, depending on the result. Is, yeah. Yeah. You want to give us a, a middle ground woohoo? That was too ebullient, Paul. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm bullient. You're I'm bullient on this one. All so right, I'm fine. sticking with woohoo. All right, fine. We'll stick with that. But <laughs> we will see if my questions and general topics of discussion can drag you down. And we will start with the way the game kicked off. Um, we had about five good minutes at the beginning of the game realistically, but after that, United seized control of the game and really had control of the game for a solid 65-70 minutes. Um, we didn't really have any joy in midfield. We didn't seem to be able to handle their wide positions, and we weren't able to create anything from the wide positions ourselves. Paul, they made really good use of, of their width, um, which I think is an interesting counterpoint with what we were able to do. Um, and we really seem to struggle with it defensively. Why do you think we had such a difficult time? I mean, I, I don't think Ashley Young is a brilliant player. I realize he's been in decent form, but what do you think in particular gave us such a difficult time coping with their wide positions? 
Okay, well, so I think we need to keep an open mind on this Ashley Young guy. He's actually pretty good when he's not bad. But so you, you know he's just he... going to shift it onto his right foot, right? I mean, like you should with two players be able to handle Ashley Young pretty easily. Yeah, well, unless you're very good. And remember, that cross came in from, from his, his left. Yeah. His left. So yeah. he, he's better than we like to remember him. Um, but he, he's been crap for a while, but this season he's got stronger, and today he was very good. I think in the first half he was the difference between the two teams in a way because he constantly gave them a threat and an out ball to recycle it back into Fellaini, which was the big threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that uh, I think a lot of our problems, you know, I'd, I'd be loath to go and criticize individual players because I think our failing was a collective failure in that first half. Mm-hmm. But the one area that field where there was a battle that we were losing was, for me, was Bellerin versus Young. And uh, especially during the first half, I thought Bellerin did better in the second half, ironically, even though he eventually got substituted. Um, but I think that put all kinds of pressure on us Um Every time that we we were poor at transitioning out of defense when we got the ball, we were kind of playing the Manchester City format of sitting back. I don't know whether that was deliberate or we were just, you know, it is not surprising that you go to United and they have a higher level of energy in the first half and they take us to task and we struggle a little bit. Uh, that's not completely astonishing that a, a game would have two halves, that in the second half we would maybe come back with a little bit more strength is not too astonishing, but we were pretty much missing for that first 45 minutes. And I might argue with you a little bit on the waiting for 70 minutes to show up. I thought we had a pretty decent start to the second and half, but we can talk about that further. So, to me, the, the big battle and the, the place we were losing that first half was out on that wing because it put us under all sorts of pressure, pressure and allowed them to, uh, between midfield and their higher energy, mm-hmm. recycle the ball into danger areas for us. Yeah, and, and I mean, to be fair, I mean, Nacho Monreal called it the worst half that Arsenal had played all season and that the manager was very angry at halftime. Um, and you can understand yeah. why. It was just a very passive and and timid performance. Um, I would say... And we were very... Uh, the, the manager used the term compact, and I think that's right because, you know, you could criticize Cazorla, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have guys around you to make those quick passes, every one of those players in midfield starts to look bad. And we, we just weren't operating as a unit. We weren't transitioning as a unit. We all look bad. Every last player on there. Yeah. I mean, um, I, you know, I, I think we'll come to some of the reasons why that happened a little bit later. So I don't want to jump to that because I want to talk a little bit about Coughlin in a minute and, and just how our midfield operates with him in there or doesn't operate. But James, we stayed unchanged with the lineup. I guess six times in a row now. Um, But it's really starting to look like maybe teams are starting to figure out how to handle that. And the the problems really were down our right and their left. Do we have to start to look at another option than Ramsey on the right, especially with Bellerin, who presumably is there to add with because he's a more attacking option uh, at fullback. And do you think that that, that right side was really the problem in the first half. Where did you see us struggling the most to cope with them and our opportunities breaking down the most easily? Um, where do I start with that? Um, that's uh, a whole host of questions thrown into one. Well, you've been on this um, podcast before. You know how this works. <laughs> um, listen, I think it's 
we can be fairly quick to forget that this is for the most part, even though it's, it's the same starting level for six games, it's you know being pretty much this eleven or ten that have really guided us through this extremely strong run of form over the last couple of months. Um, and I, you know, it you can definitely um, make the point that teams are somewhat starting to figure out ways in which to to combat this side and and tackle this type of setup that we've um, been using rather frequently. But I think really it was more down to the way in which we kept our shape this game and um, and our own our own performance because I thought we were pretty insipid during the first half and I thought it was wasn't too dissimilar um, against Swansea although it was a very different type of game. Um, Swansea who were extremely compact in the first half we looked again quite lethargic lacking energy and the actual structure and the unity of the team wasn't quite there which is quite strange because we've talked a lot about the importance of consistency in in having the same players and the importance that brings to the cohesion and the understanding amongst players and it actually looked like players were a, a little lost during that first half and I'm not sure if it was the occasion Perhaps it was the the slight shock of um, having that undefeated record being broken, especially at home to a team like Swansea. Um, and I think we came out a little bit nervy, um, a little bit uneasy. And I think that really showed in the way in which we set up and the way that we played in that first half. And we really needed that kick mm-hmm. um, in the backside in the second. And I think that the difference in the energy and, and the way in which we approached the game was... Um, you know, it w- was completely was was a big alteration in that second half. I think it's it's a little easy to complain about the right side. Obviously, there are there are flaws inherently in having a player such as Ramsey play out on the right, um, especially given that it's not his preferred position. I'm, as you know, I'm not. I'm more of a proponent of having your best players on the field because we can look to many games in which having both Cazorla and Ramsey has been extremely fruitful. I mean, most recently, the Hull game, for example. Um, and I think just, you know, if if you want to talk about the right side, the natural replacement, I think, would be Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain if he was fit. Um, and I think that's a big reason as to why this particular eleven has, has stayed as consistent mm-hmm. as it has. The other current options are... Um, a Theo, really, and I mean Jack's a very similar player. You know, it would be a similar solution as Ramsey on the right. It's right, not, it's, it's a natural central midfield player. And Ramsey, in fact, is is a, is a player that's more more capable of making those types of runs. You know, especially if you look at the the whole game in particular. But you know, Walcott in the in in the way in which we were um, attacked down that right hand side. I'm not sure a player like Theo, who's often being criticised for his lack of defensive contribution is, is someone that you would really anticipate to have really made a big difference, especially given that he's a player that thrives off um, making those off-the-ball runs. And really, we were actually struggling a lot during that first half to even um, maintain the ball within our half, let alone actually create anything in, in United's half of the field. So I'm not sure if it's necessarily down to the formation, because I think this is a formation that's that served us very well over the last couple of months. Um, I think it was more down to the way in which we approached the game and perhaps the the nerves associated with the defeat that we had against uh, against Swansea and the, and the slight sort of stumbling block that that created, and I guess the occasion of going to Old Trafford. Fair enough. I, I'll take issue with one thing about the whole you want to have your best players on the pitch. I mean, if you have five fantastic strikers, you can't play five strikers. Like, ultimately... It's a team building issue if you have seven fantastic central midfielders, like 
you can't just go inventing formations to play seven central midfielders. To me, Ramsey is playing because we don't have a ball-playing defensive midfielder, and he has to be inserted into the side on the right wing to make that three in midfield, to come central and give Ozil and Cazorla people to play with because Coughlin is a liability. And I guess let's come to that now, Paul. I mean, I think in the last two games, we're really, really seeing what we lose with Francis Coughlin. I mean, let's remember United had no Rooney today. They had no Carrick today. Um, you know, they were playing a back, the, uh, back three, I guess, with Rojo, Smalling, and Phil Jones, none of whom are any good. Um, and we really didn't trouble them. And it seemed to me now that you can press Cazorla and Coughlin is useless, and it just totally shuts down our ability to build through the middle of the park. And without Carrick in there, teams have had a lot of joy playing through the middle of the field with against United, but we really didn't. I get that Coughlin has been important to our resurgence, and I think people confuse something. They say, well, if Coughlin isn't good, why has he been such an important piece of our resurgence? And what I would argue is he's been such an important piece because we don't have any other player that can remotely do what he does besides Arteta, who hasn't been fit. But just like Coughlin in the side, our win-loss ratios when Arteta has played the last few seasons versus when he hasn't have been... uh, eye-opening. I mean, you've really seen a clear difference. So I think Coughlin's been important because we don't necessarily have anyone else who can do what he does, but that doesn't mean that he's not limited and that he's not hurting us in other ways. Paul, do you think that against Swansea, where we were so um, easy to keep at bay until he was taken out, and today against United, where we didn't really take control of the midfield until he was moved to right back, do you think these games have shown the real limitation in Coughlin's game and the need to have an additional ball-playing midfielder in place of him? No. Okay. James, <laughs> all right, would you would you care to elaborate? So because it, I, I vehemently yeah, disagree it, with you. It, it, well, you vehemently agree with yourself, which yes. I fully applaud you for. Yes, thank you. Um, the, the first thing I would I would go against that is, I'm sorry, we were a significantly better team from the start of that second half. If you think of the changes when the subs came on, there was a five-minute lull after we brought on our subs where we stopped having the upper hand. We, it, was, it was almost like those subs killed us. Now, mm-hmm. it worked out great in the end, but we had the momentum before that. Coquelin was on the field. We were playing better. Um, the biggest offender in the first half was we run in, We ran into a buzzsaw of a Manchester United that isn't the greatest ever Manchester United team, but they don't need to be. They've got a lot of good players that they spend a lot of good money on at Old Trafford with the crowd behind them, energy high. Uh, our confidence a little rocked after last week, and it was a purely their, their yin was stronger our, than our yang in that first half. And in the second half, we got our shit together and we started playing. We started knocking the ball around. Now, would I like Coquelin to be an even better ball player? Yes, but I'm not going to put that all at his feet. Um, We've played games with... uh, I think it has a lot to do with his feet, though. I think we could agree. Well, but I think that's harsh. I think his ball playing in the first and second half was not our biggest problem by any means. I thought he actually handled the ball reasonably well. Santi had more trouble connecting the dots than most. And again, I still think it's because as a team, we didn't transition. We weren't compact. It was like 
we were in a little bit of shock or hadn't got our heads into the game. And in the second half, having got a kick up the arse, we came out, worked together, worked for each other, gave each other options. You know, Coquelin and Cazorla played against Manchester City and we beat them 2-0 in a similar scenario. Um, there's no reason with Coquelin that midfield and with Ramsey over on the right as an extra ball player and Ozil and Sanchez. I mean, Sanchez was invisible for most of the game. Mm-hmm. Ozil was largely invisible for the first half. It was a collective failure, and I'm not, I'm not buying the you can put it all at Coquelin's feet. There, I'll take a little I, breather. I get that. I mean, I, I, I think, look, this isn't a case of he's terrible or he isn't terrible. He's excellent at the, the defensive side of the game. I think he is very, very limited in possession and in two ways. And I know Naveen talks about this a lot, but it's something that I noticed. He doesn't move into the positions or occupy the positions when we're in possession. That gives his teammates lanes to pass to or moves the defenders around. He just doesn't have that positioning awareness. And so you, you talk about Cazorla's poor play, and I thought Cazorla was pretty poor. You can press Cazorla and shut down our whole midfield that way. And I think that's the biggest difference we see between the way Coughlin plays and the way Arteta plays. Coughlin is a much stronger defensive player, in part just because of that his athleticism and his, his determination. But with Arteta, he will routinely be our top passer in the side. You know, 80 passes, 90 passes, 70 passes. Coughlin played 33 passes today. You know, I mean, Nacho Monreal had more than that. Olivier Giroud matched that. Um, you know, Ozil, Ramsey, Nacho, Mertesacker, Koscielny. You know, they, they all had that many passes. D- David Ospina almost did. And I think what that shows, it's not that he can't pass. It's that he's he's not making himself an option for his teammates. And... I do think that that creates difficulty, and I will agree with you, Paul, that we we did improve in the second half, and Arsene Wenger, after the match, said one of the adjustments we made is we got closer to each other. We became more compact. The players were too far apart in that first half, and I agree with that. You saw just a lot of um, players on the ball for Arsenal who didn't have options near them. I I think Coughlin has been a brilliant fill-in for Arteta since his injury, and there's no denying that, and he's... greatly enhanced the defensive side of our game. But I do think that we should have been able to dominate this Manchester United midfield, and we should have been able to get running at them and put pressure on Jones, Smalling, and Rojo. And one of the reasons I think we failed to do that is because we are short of an option in midfield to move defenders around, to play through the midfield, and create momentum into the attack. Um, James, uh, I think the yeah. other reason, if I can just add yeah. one last point, I think the other reason it's a little harsh on Cockland is particularly in the first half, he was occupied or preoccupied with Fellaini and making a lot less of a factor than he would have been in the midfield. Now, yes. That's a fair point. Yeah, Yeah, there was a big battle there. Yeah, yeah, and it's not going to not take Coquelin out of position. And one of the things we've complained about is that we haven't had that combative player who'll go against a Roy Keane type player in midfield or a Fellaini or or a Yaya Toure or whoever it is who normally tears us up in midfield while we look like little boys running around him. So maybe he didn't quite get the balance perfectly, but maybe, you know, between keeping an eye on Fellaini, as I understand his passing in the first half was 100%, which doesn't necessarily negate your point because you're talking about when he doesn't have the ball as well. Yeah, my bigger point isn't necessarily, you know, because I don't expect him necessarily to be making the through balls and the key passes, but being available for his teammates to cycle possession and move players around you know you know create that those spaces and those lanes to build up through midfield 
I, I think that's m- more what I was talking about. Sorry, Paul. I totally cut you off, though. Um, no, that, no that, that's grand. I'll, I'll let uh, James have a go at it. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in all the in my reel here. In case you're new to the podcast, you may not notice that I'm supposed to be the one asking the questions and listening to the answers. That is a more traditional podcasting style, but we like to go with the I ask the question while stating my point, then interrupt the answer to restate my point. It's it's kind of the dynamic we're shooting for. We'll see if it catches on. Um, James, yeah, so far so good. Um, I think that. Look, I'm I'm not trying to like bang on Francis Coughlin as being some terrible player, but I do think it has changed the dynamic of how we build up in midfield. Uh, look, there were other poor players here. I mean, do you want to lay some of this, especially you know, we, if you look at it over a two-game stretch, the first 60, 70 minutes at United, and you know, the first 60, 70 minutes against Swansea. Do you want to lay this to some extent at the feet of Coughlin in terms of our our lack of build up through midfield, or is it? Do you see the problem being more like a Cazorla who had a poor game or Alexis Sanchez, who I actually thought had his worst game in an Arsenal shirt? Um, not really at all, no. Um, I think you're being incredibly unfair on Francis. Um, He's I a do... terrible, terrible player who should be sold immediately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I understand where you're coming from. We've talked about it several times on the podcast. That Yes, one of the limiting components of... Francis's qualities is his le- lesser quality in distributing the ball and being able to break the lines of the opponent's midfield by bringing the ball into more attacking players. Where you know, especially, especially when you relate that to a player such as Mikel Arteta. That being said, I really do not agree that it inhibits the team anywhere near as much as you're making it out to. Um, especially in a game like this against Old Trafford. And I'd go so far to say, um, and I think many have talked a lot about it in this sort of resurgence of Coquelin, that he really has been one of the major factors in our ability to actually come up against the big sides and and play the way in which we have done. Obviously, Paul's already mentioned it, and we talk a lot about it, the City game, where both him and, and Cazorla in, in tandem were absolutely excellent. Um, you can look to the Chelsea game. I think just having that type of player, that type of grit in the midfield, gives us so much more stability um, and so much more confidence in the way that we can play and the way that we can defend. And it's all, you know, it's all well and good to be able to maintain possession like we did against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge early on. But once you go three goals down, there's not really much way of getting back into the game. And I think one of the th- important points, and I mentioned it on Twitter that despite the fact that the first half was probably the worst half we played in 2015 and perhaps the whole season, at at the very least, we were still pretty defensively sound. We didn't really give away many chances. Um, There was the free kick that Mata had um, early on, which was actually a foul by Francis. Um, But other than that, there were a couple of pretty simple saves for Ospina. So despite United dominating the possession of the ball, I think they still found it pretty difficult to break us down. And that's really a a big difference to the way in which we've been able to play it, especially when going to a place like Old Trafford. And I think a lot of that comes down to having the the athleticism, the defensive discipline of Coquelin and and the way in which we're able to set up as a result of it. And, of of course, I agree that there is a slight drawback in in the way in which he's able to distribute the ball, but I think his his benefit to the team is that it actually allows the other players and the other midfielders um, Santi talked about it in an interview recently. It gives them more. It gives them the freedom to actually 
um, be able to occupy different spaces um, in the midfield and, and Ramsey, for example, and um, in other aspects of the game. And I think there's there's a lot of intangible um, qualities that he brings to the team, and I think are a little difficult to truly assess. Um, that being said, of course, a, a, an aspect of the, the side that can be improved would be, you know, a player that's as defensively sound as Cochrane, as as defensively disciplined as him, who's also fantastic on the ball but I think if if Wenger was able to find a player like that and um who was available I'm sure he'd he'd um he'd, he'd do his utmost best to to sign him but I really don't know if there are many players of that kind of quality in world football yeah I I you know the problem I mean look we're gonna have to agree to disagree all of us on this one and just move on because like I think this is a typical case of like being way too close to the issue and not seeing the reality of it. Like, Francis Coughlin is a very, very limited player. He's a very good defensive player. We have not had a midfielder who's as focused on the defensive side of the game in a long time. We were all crying out for it last summer. We were all crying out for a defensive midfielder because we knew that that was a huge flaw. And so Wenger recalls a guy who's basically on his last legs at the club to come in and be a destroyer. And he does it, and it totally transforms us because we had no solidity at the back because of the way we were playing through midfield. And that's great, and he deserves huge credit for that. But the fact is, if you look around world football at the best teams, the best teams have defensive midfielders who can play the ball better than Coughlin. Matic is better than Coughlin. Michael Carrick is better than Coughlin. One of the problems for Manchester City is that their midfield has been poorer with Fernando and Fernandinho, who have not been good. Xavi Alonso at Bayern, Sergio Busquets at Barca, Isco and Cruz at Real Madrid. You look, you know, throughout world football, and you know, Gundogan at, at at Dortmund when they were playing at their best. You see that this is a position that is very demanding. It demands focus on the defensive side of the game, but you also have to be able to work the ball through midfield. And I, I don't think Coughlin is terrible, and I do think he's been a revelation for us because we needed someone in midfield who could focus on that. But I, I genuinely believe that if we want to be at the absolute top and be winning titles, we need that midfield player who focuses on the defensive side of the game to be able to be a little bit more astute in terms of creating passing lanes for his fellow teammates, opening up that space in the pitch to build up through midfield. And maybe it's horses for courses. Maybe you play a Francis Coughlin in a game where you know you'll be more on the back foot, you know, and you and you use someone a little bit more attacking-minded in other games. But we saw it against Spurs in the North London Derby. With Coughlin in there, you can press Cazorla and really shut down our entire midfield, and that's what happened in that game. But I, well, let's move on because... Well, I'm going to make one yeah. final thing. Again, I think really, like, by saying he's very, very limited, obviously we we naturally disagree on the fact that I think his passing is a little better than you give it credit yeah, I, for. Yeah, I think it's horrible. Um, but that that aside... And not just his I, passing, his awareness of where to be when his teammates are in possession. Okay, I mean, sure, that that, that that's somewhat fair enough. But I think... In in saying that, you're actually, although I appreciate you're saying he is very good defensively, I think you're almost you're doing a disservice to just how integral he has been defensively and how strong he's been defensively, at least on the showing from January up until now. Because of all the of all the defensive midfielders you you mentioned, from Cruz to Gundogan to Xavi Alonso, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and admittedly, I don't watch world football anywhere near closely enough to truly have a strong opinion and judgment on those types of players. From my point of view, having watched Cochrane as closely as we have done, his defensive side of things is is stronger 
than a lot of those aforementioned players that are at the top of the game. Um, and I think especially for the way that we play um, and the frailties that we've had and the way in we, which we've been able to change our approach against the bigger sides, that's almost even more integral for um, for this Arsenal side. But, like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but, like, it, you know, it's... It may be true that his defensive side of the game is stronger in some respects. I mean, everybody wants to try to have his tackling and intercepting stats, but, like, Lauren Koscielny has more tackles and interceptions than a lot of midfielders, too. Like, if that's the only role you play in a team, you better be good at it because he is absolutely a specialist, and I won't deny he's a specialist we need, but, like, I mean, you know, there are, you know, Catamol, uh, uh, like, right? Catamol is a better defender than Xavi Alonso, but, like, you couldn't put Catermol in Bayern Munich. It wouldn't work. So I, I think some of this is also down to how we want to play as a team. And I do think Coughlin's inclusion is a big part of the reason why we're playing Ramsey on the wing. And I know this is more of a Naveen idea, something that he's been talking a lot about. But I think it's to help us maintain possession as opposed to having a natural winger like Theo out there because then you really don't have a lot of possession-oriented players. Let uh, Paul, j- jump in real quick. Uh, pile on me. Tell yes. me how wrong I am. <laughs> Well, the, the one area where, uh, you know, I agree with James. I think you really are hitting him too hard on the passing. But the area where I think you make, you have the most, uh, if you like, strength in your argument is his positioning without the ball in terms of his smarts and intelligence for opening up, part, you know, passing lanes and and giving options to other people without the ball. But the one thing I'll say in his defense is this is his first half a season in this position. You know, he's been in and around the team as an odd jobs man for us. At Freiburg, he was trying to get on the pitch as a winger. At Charlton, he had a few games in mid, as a central midfielder, and they decided they'd mi- start building the midfield around his defensive midfield positioning. But he's never really played this position against top teams at the top level. And... You know, it might take us another season before we find out what kind of smarts he has to absorb the lessons that we're all talking about. I I certainly think he looks a little uncomfortable and almost his routes as a as a midfielder look a little bockety when you should see a nice smooth curve as he confidently moves to the position to wait for the ball or to draw another midfielder. So I certainly see all of that. He he looks uh, a little awkward without the ball. And he doesn't always take the best positions, but you know, not bad for a first season. I'll no, say that I, for him. And again, I, I feel like I'm being backed into the corner, making it sound like I'm saying Coughlin isn't good, and and I I don't like him. I mean, I am so appreciative of the work he's done. I don't know that we get into the top four without Francis Coughlin this season because there's no one else at the club who could have done what he did. Um, I just think going forward and really I'm talking I'm talking about challenging for titles and champions leagues not top 3 top 2 top 4 but at the very very top and I just wonder if we can play I mean look in two games where we've needed a goal the manager has moved Cochran out of the midfield to help get that goal um when we used to need a goal and Arteta was in the game, he never moved Arteta out of midfield to do that. I think there's a subtle acknowledgement that what Cochran is doing is a specialist role and he's doing it brilliantly. I just think personally if you press Cazorla and Coughlin's in the team, you can really shut down our midfield. And we saw that today. Let's move on and talk about more of the stuff that happened in the game. I, I think it's a good, vibrant discussion about a, a player who's been very important for us. And it'll be interesting to see if the manager believes in him to take the next step, as you're alluding to, Paul, and become a little more comfortable 
in assisting us when we're in possession. But look, for as much as we just spoke about Coughlin and his limitations and his skill set, there were players today that were not very good. Let's talk about Alexis. He really is a soloist. We've known that since he arrived. He's he's a guy who likes to do things on his own. He you know he he wants the ball played to feed. He wants to dribble and beat a man. It hasn't been coming off for him lately. Today, and this is just my opinion, I think he had his, his worst game in an Arsenal shirt, as I alluded to before. Um, James, on days like today when it's not coming off for him, I mean, he isn't really a good passer. He's never been a great passer. He's he's a destructive player who creates chaos. Um, what do you think it is that's not coming off for Alexis right now? And is is this a case of we're still, even this late in the season, trying to learn to play and build up an attack with a player like Alexis, who's very different from the style of player we've had before? Um, to be honest with you, I think a lot of it just came down to the fact that he just had a really off day today. Um, I couldn't, I mean, I, I couldn't disagree with the fact that um, it was potentially his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt. Although I'm, I might be forget, you know, that I may well be forgetting a couple of bad performances he's had in the past, but nothing he really did today, aside from a nice ball that he played into, I think it was Giroud at some point in the second half, um, really came off. He was um, as poor with the ball at his feet as we've seen him. He's, you know, one of the things he's normally excellent at is whether in our half or the opponent's half is his ability to cut back in with his right, skip around a couple of players, even if it means coming back towards their own goal, but just to sort of relieve the pressure and, and retain the ball and then sort of um, swing it out to the other side of the field. And we didn't really even see that from him today. Um, also, you know, where we've really seen, especially recently in the last few games, um, the chemistry between him and Ozil really excel is when Alexis has been looking to really utilize that pace of his and, and looking to, to get in behind. And I really don't, I barely remember him making any of those off the uh, off the ball runs, and I think you know sometimes just given his person personality and um, playing style, he often wants to get too involved a little too deep, mm-hmm. um, and especially when he's playing in the way that he did today, that can in some ways be a detriment. Um, I think he also wasn't helped just by especially in the first half, as we've talked about the lack of structure that we had. Um, the poor performance across the park from all of our players and the lack of fluidity amongst the the midfielders in particular makes it even more difficult for a player, a soloist like Alexis, to really put it, make a stamp or um, on a game like today's. Um, because when you have a player who's taking the risks that he does and um, who's naturally, even when he's playing well, is is going to lose the ball a good few um, amounts of times, you you. <laughs> You, you need the rest of the team to be um, cycling the ball and, and maintaining possession and and keeping a fluid style of, of play for the most mm-hmm. part. And I think the combination of the two really added to, to just, you know, really compounded um, Alexa's performance on the day. And I think, you know, that's, I think that, that could be natural, especially for his type of play, just because of it being such a high-risk, high-reward style that um, in certain games, especially when he's up against, you know, Albeit, I know on on paper, you know, Rojo and Smalling don't necessarily sound like um, the the best sort of defenders in the Premier let, League. Let me correct still... you; they are not good at defending. That would well, be the way to say I don't that. know. I mean, United <laughs> United have um, certainly been improving this part of the the, the Chris, season. Crystal and they... Palace took them apart. They were very unlucky not to win that game. You know, I mean, 
I, I just I'm I guess part of the problem for me is I don't buy into the United resurgence. I think without Rooney, without Carrick, that is a very very average United side that is very beatable. And I was frustrated that we didn't put them under more pressure and create more chances. And I, you know, I mean, sm- uh, Phil Jones looked like he was ready to make a mistake anytime. You know, we we got near him. I I, I have to give him credit for the most bizarre headed clearance I've ever seen in my life, but. <laughs> He was like a calamity waiting to happen. Uh, Paul, what about you? I mean, Alexis Sanchez, 59% passing, seven times dispossessed, no successful dribbles. Do you think maybe he's just a little worn out? And, you know, in a big game, he's trying to do too much to win it on his own. And and do you think there is still some growing pains integrating his style into what has always been more of a slick, quick passing system? Yes, yes, and yes. I think he's sucked today. Uh, and on the goal, you, you can see him trotting back and yeah, then suddenly realizing we have a panic on and getting within a yard of Herrera uh, when he had a wonderful view of Herrera ghosting into that back post and didn't raise his pace at any point. So, you know. You, so who do you put I, the goal on? I mean, Bellerin gets beat for the cross. Oh, Monreal so pinches in on. See, I, I have a theory on yeah. this. I think Monreal was so hell-bent not to let what happened against Gomis happen with Fellaini. You know what I mean? Yep. He let Gomis yeah. out-muscle him and, and create enough room to get that header down. So he really got into Fellaini and totally lost sight of what was going on behind him when, in this case, yeah. that might have been more of his role. I mean, was this was this three people really making a mistake? Bellerin, Nacho, yeah. and, and Alexis not tracking Herrera? Yeah, and the goalie position again. I'm no expert on defending, but he had a lot of space to his his uh, left hand side, and I think even he was a little transfixed that Fellaini was yep. his problem. That's I who uh, I think our our team probably spent quite a bit of time thinking that balls were going to come into Fellaini at the back post, and he was the danger man, and that's what caught us out on that particular play. But I do think Alexis had a superb view of Herrera ghosting into that back post. And it wasn't until the last moment that he picked up his speed and, and went in for him and got within a whisker of him. So that was frustrating for me. So, so the bigger question about Alexis, yeah, I think it's been a long season for him. I think he certainly wasn't helped by the fact that in the first half we were so poor transitioning from defense into midfield into attack, holding onto the ball, holding the ball up. So... He was a bit cut adrift, but he really didn't do anything the whole game, and that was pretty frustrating. Yeah, and by the way, I'm not saying you should go to Old Trafford and have it all your way, but I think this was a very limited United side missing some key components, and you know, until about the 70th minute or so, we didn't really start to turn the screw or, or for that matter, press the issue at all. Um, you, what, what about you for the goal real quick, James? I mean, um, any concern that we're starting to see some goalkeeping issues? And, and do you think there's even a question, you know, about whether Ospina keeps the shirt or you think he's he's penciled in as the number one until the end of the season and then we maybe do something this summer? Yeah, I mean, A, I was a little concerned with as, I mean, as you guys have already mentioned, there were, there were three major mistakes that were made. I hadn't actually noticed the Alexis um, lack of tracking back until I saw it on the replay. Um, But obviously the most obvious two faults in that goal was um, Bellerin being done by Ashley Young onto his left foot. Um, You know, so often we've seen 
Bellerin with that speed of recovery be able to make that quick tackle and uh, block the cross for a corner. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it on that stage, and I think that's probably, um, you know, you can put that down again to slight inexperience. He's still a player, let's not forget, who's still very much learning the game at the top level. Um, so I think he can be given a little leeway there. Um, but it was disappointing to see Nacho, I suppose especially in hindsight, given that the ball went past Fellaini to leave Herrera there on the back post. Um, but perhaps he was thinking that um, Alexis would hopefully be be tracking the runner behind and he was focused on sort of doubling up on Fellaini with Koscielny and trying to put as much pressure on him as the danger man. Um, moving on to Ospina, yeah, I thought, again, much like the Swansea goal, it wasn't a. It, was, it certainly wasn't dreadful goalkeeping by any stretch of the imagination. But you, it was certainly one of those that you thought perhaps a top class keeper would have actually kept that out. Um, his positioning was slightly off. Um, he didn't give himself the best opportunity of being able to save that ball. Um, and as good as his reflexes are, um, I thought he could have even perhaps you know, you know, if he was in the right position, it was one of those that he could have probably saved with his feet. Um, and he gave himself a little too much to do. I did the last time I was on um I have a little mention of sort of perhaps we've been a little harsh on Aspino because statistically he's been strong and he's also been in a side and that's performed well. Um that being said, I think we've seen in the last two games that he's probably not a keeper that's quite at the level that you you want for a team that wants to be challenging for say the Premier League and Champions League title and I think it's although he's definitely going to keep his his place in the team for Sunderland and West Brom. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, we will see Chesney in the FA Cup final. Um, and obviously his position is extremely tenuous at the club now. Um, and I think, especially as a fan, the rumours of a, of a Czech-like signing would probably, would, would certainly be um, preferable. Certainly in addition, a, a slightly more... I don't know. I, I still can't quite get over Ospina's height. I know that's um, quite petty. It's but... not petty. It's it's an important look. I mean, you know, I I think if you're five foot five, odds are you're not going to play in the NBA. Like the physical, you know, physicality is a part of football. You know, whether you're fast, whether you're tall, whether you're you have good feet. I mean, a goalkeeper needs to have certain physical attributes. I don't know that Ospina has the attributes to be an absolutely top keeper. You know. We suffered through seasons where goalkeepers lost us points. You know, Almunia lost us points, arguably lost us titles. But, um, you know, now we, we have keepers, I think, who are par. And what I mean by that is they don't necessarily lose us points, but they're certainly not winning us games. I think if we had a check-like keeper this season, just these last two games, I think we don't concede the Gomis goal against Swansea. And arguably, keeper in slightly better position doesn't concede the Herrera goal today either. I'm not saying we deserved all three points today, but you know that's what you want. You want a keeper like a De Gea does for United, like he did against Crystal Palace, who wins you games. Um, and I don't think Espina has done that, and I, I don't know that he, he has that quality in him. Um, no, but he's certainly an improved keeper on um, keepers we've had in yes, recent times. But, that, but that's again, not the level that we're, no, I that agree, we're No, I agree. I mean, I'd be more than happy with him as a sort of second choice. Um the funny thing with Chesney is he's actually a keeper I've often said, um, certainly last season, for example, is a keeper who's able to win us games. Totally agree. But he is also, but I, I wouldn't disagree that he's a par goalie because for every game he he wins us, you know, he more or less also has, has a game in which he 
you know, he lo which he could, in which he loses us the the match. Look, he's got Nick um, Bentner syndrome, right? So. He just he he's got Nick Bentner Nick Bentner syndrome. He has the physical attributes and the skill set to be a top quality keeper, but he doesn't seem to have the mental attributes. So I think the Chesney ship has sailed. I, I, we had we had a real problem with our finishing uh, against Swansea. Some really tentative, uh, unconvincing finishing that probably cost us the points there. And today, I, while we didn't create much, we did have chances. And, and again, uh, the finishing was poor. Uh, Alexis had a ball crossed to him in the box where he could have taken it down and instead just blasted a volley into space. Um, I, there was one interesting one where Alexis made his one excellent pass of the game over the top. Curious to get your quick thoughts on this, guys. I don't want to talk about it long because I want to get on to the next point, but... Alexis plays the ball over the top, and it comes to Ramsey, and De Gea charges. And Ramsey tries to kind of volley it over him or kick it past him. I kind of thought the header was on there. Do you remember the chance I'm talking about? Alexis yeah. uh, curls an in-swing in -swing pass over the back four that Ramsey's running onto in space, and De Gea's coming out. Did Ramsey maybe shy away from that? Should he have put his head in there, Paul? Uh, I didn't spot that. I just, I just wished he'd had a better line as the ball came down. Mm -hmm. Maybe a, a, a fraction more pace, obviously against Rojo. So I don't know. I think that would have been. I think it might also have been a giveaway for the keeper as to what was coming. But I don't know. Yeah, James. Um, curious whether you thought that was just a missed opportunity, or maybe he should have headed that. But. Uh... A lot of chances fell. To, well, not a lot of chances, but a lot, a lot of the chances we had fell to Giroud today. What do you make of his game? Um, well, firstly, on the Ramsey one, I didn't. Um, I certainly didn't think it at the time. But thinking about it now, I'm, I'm not sure if it was necessarily on, especially in that split second. Um, I think you know. I think he actually did pretty well to get his foot in it ahead of De Gea, who. Um, came out quickly and made it very difficult for Ramsey. Obviously, you, given that he managed to get his foot on it, you would have hoped okay. for a slightly better connection. But yeah, I, I think it, I don't think it was a, a particularly easy chance. Let's put it that way. Um, as for Giroud, I don't think he had a great game. I don't think he was in the, in the first half. Even what he does best, um, his hold-up play wasn't too bad. But his actual um, ability to then find a player in an Arsenal shirt was. Um, was not up to the, the level that we normally expect from him. Um, and he's a player that's now gone, I think, six games without a goal. Yes. Um, it did improve in the second half, that's for sure. And we saw that on this occasion he was, um, instead of being subbed off like he was against Swansea, he was kept on the field. Um, and I thought he did extremely well at first. There was the chance that when Ozil played it across um, the face of goal and he held off, he did brilliantly there. I don't think he could have done any better there. Yeah. Um, he did. You know, he did excellent. I think he was slightly falling off balance, and he did actually pretty well to um, get the shot away. And De Gea saved it quite smartly. I thought the near post um, flick that went to the outside of into the side net just after we'd scored should have, should have been better. Um, Maybe, but yeah, again, that was one of those where you know he was quite far outside the near post. He had to really wrap his foot around it. Um, then again, that's something that we we often see. With, you know, that's one of his sort of trademark finishes um, Olivier, and I think we've seen it so regularly with him that maybe it was one of those that he, he he would have felt he could have put away, but I don't think that was an easy chance. There was, you know, obviously you had the the Jones sort of like Gollum-like fall to the ground, and he managed to, to uh, you know, just get his head on it, and it stops Giroud from controlling it, unfortunately. Um, and there was, I think there was, a, there was one more, chance where Giroud took it down fantastically. I can't remember who played the through ball. 
Um, but then his second touch just evaded him, and I thought he was going to have a um, decent shot at goal. So I thought it was one. It was it was a game of sort of small margins for Giroud. I don't think he had a, a dreadful game, but I, you know it, mm-hmm. there were there were a few moments in the game where you just felt you know the ball going a couple of inches the other way or um, one touch being kept that little bit closer to him, and he might have he might have had a better chance to yeah um to get himself on the score sheet. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Paul. We saw, you know, we've seen some of his limitations over the last few games. I mean, against Chelsea, he really didn't cause them much problems. I think United handled him pretty well. What did you make of his game today? And do you think that these last few games, especially the ones against Chelsea and today against United, show that maybe against the big clubs, defenders just don't find him that difficult to control? Uh, I think he's, I definitely think he's kind of, He's he's lost a little bit of confidence, maybe. I thought he was okay today. I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think he's also suffered, especially in the first half, from the the same issues with transitions and link up play with the rest mm-hmm. of the team. Thought he was much better in the second half. I, you know, I do I do uh, take issue with the we only started playing that seventy minutes. I think we were the stronger team pretty much throughout the second half. Fair enough. A lot of the a lot of the good chances we had, including the Rambo one, uh, the Alexis one, uh, a Giroud one or two, were all before the changes. So uh, I, I think it was even more obvious that we were running the show after the goal and uh, and therefore after the substitutions, as I think uh, uh, United's butthole froze mm-hmm. and we went after them, and we you know our our substitutions were pretty attacking. Um, and uh, yeah, slightly off the point, but but I've kind of, we've kind of had the Giroud conversation before, and I just don't think there's enough data to say which you know which instinct is right or not. But what I did what did interest me was when we brought on uh, Jack and Ramsey, and uh, you know people were saying you know how great this lineup is, and you know how we're really taking it to them. But you saw the same issues cropping into play where. Wilshire was off on the, on the right wing and Ramsey was basically our DM and decided to beat a guy in midfield with his back to him. So, uh, you know, the, we looked a lot better as the game went on, but we were also more and more open as we were attacking. We could have done a classic Arsenal screw up towards the end. And I think it reflects on Giroud in that I thought he had a much better second half and looked more dangerous and was much more involved in the play. But that's true of all of our players. There was there were a lot more players to ping off and people doing creative runs, and he looked a lot better in that second half as we became more and more progressive, but also more and more open at the back. Mm-hmm. Well, so let, let's talk about that period of the game where we did start to dominate. I know, I know you're saying we improved in the second half, which I think we did, but we really had United on the back foot and struggling for periods, I thought, after we made the changes. And the changes were obviously, to bring on uh, Wilshire and Walcott. Uh, Bellerin came off. Coughlin moved to right back. Wilshire played in midfield with Ramsey and Ozil. And Walcott gave us a more naturally wide player. For you, Paul, which which is the bigger issue or the bigger contributing factor to our taking to us taking control of that final period of the match? The added playmaking midfielder or the addition of natural wide play, or do you think you can't separate the two because they go hand in hand? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It, there was also, you know, my narrative of the game was a change of energies. That first half, they came out like a Manchester United team at Old Trafford, and they got second. They got tired in that second half. Yeah, we they came tired. out. Yep. Yeah, and we came out full full bore in the second half. Now, they were still in it, so it wasn't maybe that obvious. But as the game progressed and as we then made those even more attacking substitutions, but it's almost like we made three changes during the sub, the subbing because there was, there was Jack and Ramsey. Uh, Ramsey then got repositioned to midfield. That's almost like a fourth change. We had um, Walcott, obviously, on the right, who didn't do that. He made a few runs before the goal, but basically before the goal, he just provide, provided threat rather than content. Right. And then Coquelin coming in, you could see that uh, Wenger had decided uh, he didn't want another Gomez-Fellaini-style header in the last few minutes, and that bring on he wanted to bring on Walcott, but leaving Walcott ahead of Bellerin was a non-starter. So it was a bit confusing, the Coquelin to right wing, but you can see it provided two things. It allowed uh, Walcott to go forward and he hoped stopped Ashley Young putting in those crosses to Fellaini in the last five or 10 minutes to kind of lose the game for us. So it was really uh, something like four changes. If you look at it in terms of positional changes and players off, and it really changed the energy. But like I say, it also killed our momentum for about five minutes. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but at the instant those subs came on, we went from being the attacking team to kind of having to refind ourselves. Yes, there was the threat from Walcott, but our overall play was a little muddled there for a few minutes before we got going again. And then that delicious cross crossfield ball from Ramsey shows why you you kind of like him uh, in the middle of that e- midfield mm-hmm. uh, pulling the strings. Uh, you know that may, maybe Walcott's shot wasn't worth a goal. Uh, cross come shot, but was that, it, do you think it was that, a shot uh, or a cross? That ball was, uh, it was a cross for yeah. sure. It seemed to be heading straight uh, through the legs of uh, their full back, straight towards their center back. Uh, but I mean, to be fair, what Walcott does, apart from providing threat and putting them under a lot of pressure, which causes mistakes, he all he, the quick feet means he gets a shot off quickly. That's why he got his deflection and he hits it nice and hard. You know, he, all of his attributes contributed to a bit of a jammy goal that went in our favor. Uh, and a, a jammy goal at Old Trafford is probably the most delicious kind of goal there is. So, you know, credit to him. Loads of credit to Ramsey for that ball. I mean, that's the one that really put them under the the microscope there. Yeah, and to be fair, it, it was a jammy goal, but I think the way we played the last 20 mm-hmm. minutes, we could have scored two or three. So yep. I, I think our play earned us the draw in the end, despite a very poor, if you want to say 45, I would say 50 or 60 minutes. But, you know, I think we, we earned that little bit of luck towards the end there. For you, James, when those changes are made, is it, the addition of the midfield, the ball-playing midfield option in Wilshire, or is it the introduction of natural pace and width in Theo that really makes the difference? Um, well, it's both of those things combined with the fact that we actually came out of the second half looking like a team that was re-energized and um, playing against a, a United side that was beginning to tire. And so the attributes of a, of a Jack has that burst of pace to take it in from, from deep an hour and a half and... Um, and with his dribbling qualities, is able to break that line of uh, midfield and, and really attack the final third of the field. And obviously Theo, who looks to really occupy those spaces in behind, 
United's back line, those that that the combination of all three made us a much more dangerous proposition. Um but I think there are also arguments to be made that it's through virtue of waiting until that point in the game to introduce those types of qualities to the team that um allowed those aspects of our side to, to flourish in the last twenty minutes. Um I think a big a big, big difference was especially given the way that Santi had played throughout the match. Um and normally I'm surprised to see Santi not play the full ninety, but given his performance I wasn't um to see him come off. Um was that change to then bring on an Aaron who I thought was extremely composed with um his back to goal deep in our own half, his ability to, to turn around a player and um recycle possession and drive forward and obviously the as as Paul mentioned the the vision and the execution of that pass to Theo Walcott was absolutely superb. If you watch it again, I mean from how deep that ball is, um to spot the run and 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 to make that ball, I mean it's it, it's a game changing moment. Um and it's actually, you know, it, those attributes, the ability to, to turn on a man and uh, recycle the ball and, and push forward is something we often associate with Santi when he's playing well. Um but it's a testament to the squad to be able to be to be able to change it in the way that we did um and so effectively. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think you know certainly at the time I was a little I was very surprised to see Bellerin come off and Cockerland move to right back. It just didn't seem to make much sense. I I didn't see reason why a, a Cockerland shouldn't be brought out directly. I, obviously, as as we've seen when we're looking for a goal, Cockerland's the man that's sacrificed in the middle, um, which makes perfect sense given Ramsey's ability to both add somewhat defensively and and, and of course his his attacking impetus from deep. But, you know, I, I actually, you know, that that being said, I, I do tend to agree with what Paul said. Perhaps Coquelin is a more defensive-minded, even even when he plays at, at fullback, you know, relative to Bellerin. Bellerin, a player who might be more inclined to make the more marauding runs, especially when chasing a game. And perhaps Arsene didn't want to leave that space um, for Ashley Young to to attack into um, on, the, on the counter. That's how I so. interpreted it, by the way. I thought... He wanted a slightly more physical, more defensive-minded player at the fullback position with Theo on, and, and basically Coughlin moving there would just sort of sit deep and protect the right flank as opposed to a Bellerin who would try to get involved in the attack. Um, also, that Bellerin, having not had a great day with Ashley Young, maybe the manager thought that Coughlin, because of his slightly added physicality and maybe better on-the-ball defending, would give Ashley Young trouble Ironically, about the first time Ashley Young came up against Coughlin, he nutmegged him and went right past him. Um, but, you know, I mean, overall, I, th- I thought that was the idea. Look, ultimately, I think the question here is nobody's going to say Arsenal played well in the first half. It is easy sometimes to read too much into any game and start drawing conclusions. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm a little frustrated because I thought this was a United team that was there for the taking. Um, having watched them against Palace and how poor they were and seeing the players they're missing. Um, the question I want to ask, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here, is just full-time 1-1, happy with a point? Or do you think realistically, looking at who they had out on the pitch today, this is an opportunity to go and get all three points at Old Trafford? Paul, um, obviously you would have wanted to win, but in terms of satisfaction, level of satisfaction with the outcome, where do you stand? No, I was happy with the point. Uh, Arson had a big smile on his face at the end, too. I think we can come out of there with our head held high 
especially because we got stronger and stronger as the second half went on. So I think it was morale raising. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, where I I tell you what I really regret is just not the opportunity for second slowly slipping away because I think that's a big psychological advantage. So that hurts me a bit more. Yes. Uh, this United team, especially in the second half, was there for the taking. I don't think it mattered that they didn't have their best players in the first half. I don't think it would have changed very much had they had a Rooney or had they had a Carrick in the first half. I think the the, her, for, the second half might have been where a Rooney might have hurt you or a Carrick might have maintained some control for them. Um, and so, yes, I, I do agree with you. We had We kind of had the run of them. Uh, especially as time went on in that second half, and they were there for the taking. But to be fair, we we didn't threat. We did quite a lot to build up and make opportunities and and uh, maintain possession and counterattack and attack in the second half. We really didn't have the the number of quality chances on goal testing their goalkeeper that deserved to get us to 2-1, which is maybe the greater shame of it all. Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, and I think my biggest misgiving about this game, in general, despite the trouble we had with them handling them in wide positions, is that we didn't give them more trouble. I, I'm not too concerned about how we defended. And in general, I think our defending has improved, despite the fact that I think we need a, a better goalkeeper. But we, we just didn't test them enough and give them enough of a problem in their half and final third. And it's a shame because I do think De Gea aside, that is a very vulnerable United team. Um, James, final thoughts, happy with the point or feel that it's an opportunity missed? No, I'm definitely happy with the point, especially in the context of the game. It was far more important for United to get three points than it was for us in that it would have, you know, really shaken our momentum to have lost to Swansea and then go and lose at Old Trafford with fourth place then becoming a, a a bigger possibility, although still somewhat slim because we'd have to have had drop points to both to one of Sunderland and West Brom. Um, but now I think, especially, you know, I mean, you you looked at, if you listen to, to Wenger's comments and, and Walcott's in particular, where he mentioned the draw to the players felt like a win. Um, you know, to be able to re- rebound from a really shaky first half, and as as we've mentioned, I think some of that can perhaps be put down to the shock defeat to Swansea at home. So to really kind of stabilise our performance in the second and 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 stabilise the sort of the points intake, so to speak, for the league table, and to now just push on and um, and look to get a couple of you know expected victories against Sunderland and West Brom before the FA Cup final. That's the, that's the most important thing. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure um, an Old Trafford win. Although I agree, it was it is or it was somewhat up for the taking given their team, their squad. I think is still somewhat underestimating how difficult it is, especially in in big game contexts like this, um, to get even a point there. Um, mm-hmm. I think, however bad you may think they've been this season, they have one of the best records against the top four sides this season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I always, to be honest with you, expect expect to lose when we go to Old Trafford and to come out with effectively four points over a, out of a possible six this season. And and in fact, the FA Cup final, the FA Cup game as a um, as a knockout game was was worth even more than three points to us. So 
so really when you look back at it I think that's that's a fantastic take I think the really big disappointment was obviously that um the result at home but I think it's promising especially given the way in which we played in the second half and I think that would give us the the necessary um grounding and 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 sort of rebound following the Swansea defeat um to push on now and and look to finish with 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 three strong wins um hopefully yeah. um, for this season. That's it. I mean, it's obviously as much as we'd like to beat Sunderland and West Brom, it's all about the cup final now and it'll be it'll be good for morale having not dropped all the points today and I think it will give us a chance to to go out as you said strong. I mean, it's it's sad to see the season almost over, but I think there's a chance to finish on a positive note and losing today certainly would have soured that saving a point. I think keeps us at least for the most part, trending up. Obviously, all of that will depend on what happens at Wembley on the 30th. But, you know, if that goes in our favor, then I think we'll we'll feel really good going into the summer. Um, and a summer where, Alexis aside, we should be able to have a pretty decent preseason, prepare for an early start to the season, not have a qualifier to worry about, and potentially avoid the bad start to next season that we suffered from this season. I think we'll leave it there. This has been a podcast where I've taken myself way too seriously, and I need to have a long think about that and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, the good news is I get to get right back on the horse on Wednesday, uh, but in lieu of a horse, I can just get right back on the podcast when we'll be facing Sunderland at the Emirates. Um, I want to thank both of these wonderful people who saved the pod from just being me ranting and raving mindlessly. Uh, first, uh, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Paul, as always, it was a delight. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, he says without meaning it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> have a have a great rest of your weekend. What little is left, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday. And and you can find James at GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. James, uh, thanks for putting up with me in my argumentative state today. But I was a pleasure to talk to you. Cheers, Elliot. Um... Have yeah. a good one. Thank you. And in case you're wondering why I am in such a sullen and argumentative mood, it is my 40th birthday today. So I am incredibly Ooh. depressed. Um, this time last year, I was celebrating a 30-something birthday, which is not depressing at all. And we were winning an FA Cup final. Today, we were scraping a draw at United while I was facing the rest of my life uh, sinking into obesity and impotence. So, uh, you know, a morass, uh, a morass of obesity yeah, yeah. and impotence. But exactly. But it's going to be a lighthearted, frothy pot on Wednesday after we uh, maul Sunderland like 7 or 8 nil. So we'll look forward to that. Guys, I appreciate it. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend it. That's been the Arsenal Vision Podcast for today. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Cheers. Happy birthday to you. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. In the latest episode of History This Week, we take a closer look at a failed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in 1861, when the nation was on the cusp of a civil war. Nearly 160 years later, what can we learn from this moment when democracy was challenged? And check out all our episodes this month as History This Week celebrates Black History Month. Last week, we covered the Greensboro sit-ins that sparked a media firestorm and inspired mass sit-ins across the country. Next week, we travel to Australia and witness Sydney students taking a freedom ride of their own for Aboriginal civil rights. After that, we'll be exploring the origins of jazz. For these stories and more, subscribe to History This Week wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast, Acast. 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 Acast.